0: You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday meeting podcast. This talk was given at 5720, Ridge Avenue. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday evenings at 5 pm. I want to talk about tonight and for the next couple of weeks, I want to talk about being a part of the transhistorical body of Christ. We have a a blog called The Transhistorical Body, there it is, Um, and it's about people and holidays that we want to remember, drawing from those who have gone before us, recognizing our connection to a rich history and wisdom of Jesus' followers from across and throughout time. I have found great comfort and courage from stories of those who have um, gone before me in faith, people that I will never meet, who existed in a time and a culture, maybe, that could be vastly different from my own. But they help me see who God is and what God is doing through them in their time, which puts me and my time and my life in perspective, too. So to hear stories of faithful people putting their faith into action, even in imperfect ways, that God can still use, bolsters our, can bolster our courage um, so that we can give what we've got and use what we have, listen to God, and do what we can. So I want to look at stories from people in the Bible from the not-so-distant past, and even current stories of people who follow Jesus. uh, Even as we experience just this moment in time, and this context, and who we are, we're connected to people across history. Um, So I hope that by looking at their stories, you will take courage, too, and that we can... um, see how God moves in and through their faith in action. I hope that we can draw perspective from other people's lives who have made a difference for the gospel. One thing I don't want to do is um, to idealize anyone or to talk about them as like a character study or something in order to boil down principles that we can apply to our lives. I am prone to that, I think. Uh, because I grew up hearing Bible stories sort of in that way. The story was often about the person themselves, and that's problematic uh, when so many people in the Bible could be heralded as uh, models of virtue. They go on to do really questionable things or even downright awful things. So I don't think that's actually any different from any of us, necessarily. Um, So it's worth noting that character studies sell the Bible short, because they don't reflect the reasons why the stories were, were recorded in the first place, or the bigger picture of how Jesus fulfills purpose, the purposes of particularly Old Testament characters, for example. And I think we could sell the Christian life short if we glorify people who, because we only get, our, we're only getting a, a snapshot of complex people. So I don't want to idealize anyone um, over these next few weeks, but I hope we can look at stories of who God is and uh, look in these stories, excuse me, for who God is and what God is doing through their faith in action, because God is at work through our faith in action too. God is using even the mundane details of our lives to accomplish God's purposes. So today, in particular, I want to tell three stories um, that all have to do with people's experiences of moving to a new neighborhood, so to speak. We've had a lot of these conversations lately as we've talked about and considered the possibility of buying 3237 North 29th Street and moving this congregational meeting space to Allegheny West. But whether or not we buy this building is not the point of this talk tonight. We're always, as followers of Jesus, crossing barriers to build relationships and share the love of God. We're always working to cross boundaries and we need to keep talking about how to do that and telling stories of how it is happening already. Many of you are living this out. So that's the purpose of my talk tonight is I've been having these conversations because of this building, but the purpose of the talk tonight is more about who we are as followers of Jesus and how we do that in the context of moving to a new neighborhood. So, there are three stories about someone who've moved to a new neighborhood that I hope we can learn from, both from them and their experience, but also from how God works in their experience. Does that make sense? Okay. Let me pray for us before we go on. God, we ask that you do reveal yourself to us um, as we consider these people and their, their stories tonight. We only have a snapshot of um, what they've lived. But we are looking for you all the time. So reveal yourself to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I was resisting the idealizing of my own story the other week as I was talking to a friend and I thought it was worth telling you too. So I'm gonna start with myself and then work backwards in history. Uh, Steve and I bought our house on Abbotsford Avenue in Germantown in the spring of 2007. We moved into the house a couple months later because we were doing some work on it. And not long after we were awoken in the night to a loud popping sound and then glass shattering So I hopped out of bed and I moved over to the window. I remember I could feel the heat of the fire from across the street pulsing through the screen as I watched this car go up in flames. There were more loud popping sounds as the other windows blew out and sent shattered glass across the street. And then the flames crept up from uh, the trunk of the tree that was next to the car and torched the whole thing. And within moments of grabbing my cell phone, the fire department had arrived and blocked off the street. And I watched the whole thing kind of in shock. Of course, my heart was racing. My adrenaline was pumping. As you can imagine, it took a long time to get back to sleep after that. And Not too long after that, Steve caught a whole group of kids stealing our neighbor's van in the alleyway behind the house in broad daylight. He had startled them by his presence and scared them off before he was even totally sure what was happening. And the cop who took the report examined the the van. He said they would have been successful if they had a a few more seconds. All of this happened shortly after we moved in. But it's helpful to have 11 years of history and perspective to tell that story of moving onto my block because I can look back and say what I learned about how to move into a neighborhood. I remember that I was scared and unsure and wondering if we should really be there. The neighbors were skeptical of us. We put ourselves on their turf. We didn't know the ropes yet. We were feeling it out, and we had to convince them that we were there for the long haul. We weren't just going to flip the house and make money, for example. We were putting down roots, and we were ready to stay. My friend was um, assuming that we were moved by God for love of the neighborhood. And while that is true, and I had lived in Germantown before buying this house. It was also just very practical how we ended up there. We didn't know anything about Fernhill Park across the street from our house. We didn't know anything about that block. And in light of everything that happened in those first few months, we could have decided that we had no business being there. I remember questioning it myself. But we wanted to be invested neighbors. We wanted to learn how to be part of this neighborhood. We, we we learned a lot of things in the process. We learned that we needed to know our neighbors, all of them. Some were our biggest allies, and some were causing trouble. But we learned everybody's names. We let ourselves be seen and known and shared what we had. We weren't actually, um, excuse me, We weren't above anything that was happening in the neighborhood, because we were in it too. The first few months were ripe with opportunity to humble ourselves and become neighbors. And over the years, many of those neighbors became partners and friends, and even aunts and uncles to our children. Um, In the process, we, we learned how to come alongside and learn from our neighbors. One, how to be homeowners from folks who had owned their homes there for decades. We were brand new to it. Uh, We learned how to respond to the crime in the neighborhood in a nuanced way without just being reactionary. We learned how to offer what we had and ask for what we needed, humbly. We joined with other folks who were struggling to keep a volunteer park association alive, a group alive. We listened to stories of how the block had changed and what the challenges were in a way that presented ourselves as potential partners. We didn't assume a place there. We made ourselves available to a, a shared experience until we had a place. And we were welcomed warmly over time. We recognized that for us to be there, we needed the block before the block needed us. And living there for 11 years has changed Steve and I. Um, It's changed how we raise our children, who their friends are, what they experience. I hope that they've absorbed some of what we've learned about how to be neighbors. Living on Abbotsford Avenue has been a reminder that regardless of where I come from originally, Lancaster, And what my limitations are, God is transforming me and will use the circumstances around me to do so. If I'm willing to humble myself and humbly surrender to Christ and to love and serve others. So that's a little bit of my story. Now I want to look at a woman by the name of Lilius Trotter. Over the summer, she was featured on our trans-historical Body of Christ blog. Um, She was born in England in 1853 to an uh, upper-middle-class family. She was a gifted artist and was told that she could be one of England's greatest living artists. uh, But in order to do so, she would have to give herself totally to her art. At the same time, Lilius had a growing faith, um, which encouraged her not only in her personal spiritual growth, but also in service to others. And she felt the call of God from God to, um, to go to North Africa. She had to choose between pursuing her career as an artist and answering this call that God had placed on her heart. So she chose to follow God. And as a single woman in the 1800s, who was denied support from the missionary agency because of health issues that she had, who didn't know the language or the culture, going to Africa was a radical decision. And it sounds highly problematic, right? How can an English socialite in the Victorian era, who knows nothing about Algerian culture, go there to serve the Lord? Was she delusional? Was she naive? It is possible to do harm even with the best intentions. We don't know enough to evaluate her psychology or all that happened there, but we do know that she loved those who were marginalized. She ministered among the prostitutes in London before she moved. And then she lived among the poor in Algiers, ministering to women and children. And one Algerian woman said this about her. No one loved us like she did. Lilius writes in her journal, I've been thinking lately what a work for God it is, just loving people. That simple statement kind of obscures the fact that she, she really knew something about self-denial. She was willing to move out of what was familiar and comfortable to follow God, leaving behind friends, culture, language, fame as an artist. This is different, this is no different for us today in a sense uh, as we choose to follow Christ because it costs us everything. Jesus told us that. She had courage to take risks and following where God was leading her. Her choices were radical, defying concern of friends and societal expectations. But she didn't come with a colonialist mindset. She engaged in cross-cultural ministry by listening and learning from people, starting with years of Arabic study. She respected their culture. She was determined to be the presence of Christ wherever she was. She learned to do domestic work when previously she had been, all of her needs had been met by servants. That is a posture of humility out of which love is demonstrated. And she spent 30 years in a land that was not her own trying to help Muslims meet the living God, risen in Jesus. At times she was so sickly, she could not get out of bed. Lilius Trotter, to me, is a reminder that regardless of where you come from, or what our limitations are, God will transform and use those of us who are willing to humbly surrender to Christ and to love and serve others. last I want to talk about Ruth from the Book of Ruth in the Old Testament. She was a woman who was included in the lineage of Christ even though she was a foreigner from Moab. There's a lot to to this beautiful rich story um, but here's a little summary to help us see how God was involved in the day-to-day joys and hardships of her everyday life. The book tells us that in the days when judges ruled, uh, a man by the name of Elimelech, an Israelite, and his family were suffering from famine in Bethlehem. And he moves to Moab. Moab. Now, Israel did not think highly of Moabites, so this was kind of a big deal to move there. There was a, a, a history, a long history to that. But while they were there, the two sons married Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. Then the husband, Elimelech, dies along with his two sons. So his wife, Naomi, now unmarried and alone, without a home or husband or sons or any fellowship, or even a hope of inheritance or provision, because she, she in a male-dominated society, the men provided protection and provision. Um, In the face of that tragedy, Naomi decides to move back home. And Ruth, her daughter-in-law, who was a Moabite, insists on going with her, knowing that she would be an immigrant in a foreign land. Naomi urges her to stay in her homeland for her own good. But Ruth insists, out of loyalty and love, for Naomi so they return and literally not knowing how they would find food or survive Ruth ends up in the field the barley field of a man by the name of Boaz gleaning the leftovers and he shows remarkable provision for this immigrant it turns out that Boaz is related to Ruth's dead husband, and by cultural practice should marry the widow to provide for her. So Naomi is thrilled that Boaz is this family redeemer, and he's responsible to care for them. So he does redeem them both. He marries Ruth, he provides for them, and this this tragedy that began this journey ends in this great act of loyalty. It's interesting to note that through the book, um, even though the characters talk about God a few times, God's rarely mentioned. By the, He's not mentioned by the writer. God's providence, though, is behind all of this, even though the writer never mentions God directly. It's evident that God is weaving together all these circumstances and choices. Boaz's integrity plus Ruth's boldness and her loyalty, redeem Naomi and the family. God weaves together faithfulness, the faithful obedience of his people to bring about redemptive purposes in the world. Because the whole book of Ruth ends with this genealogy, a list of family members showing that Boaz and Ruth's, Ruth's son was the grandfather of King David, who comes from the lineage of Jesus. Out of whom Jesus comes, excuse me. So Ruth the Moabite was grafted into this family and lineage of Jesus because of her boldness and her loyalty and her character that she demonstrated by moving to a foreign land as an immigrant with no means to protect herself. God uses Ruth and her loyalty to Naomi amidst tragic circumstances and a land where she's an outsider to become part of the story of Jesus. She was included in the family. It's notable to me that in the midst of her need, she demonstrates her character in the midst of crossing boundaries, without fear for herself, she is loyal. And she presents this beautiful story to us of this kind of uh, loyalty and love. So those three stories are different examples of people who have crossed boundaries, moved into new neighborhoods, and how God has worked in those circumstances. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.